Thanks for listening. Our mission here at Life West Church is to see you and your family equipped and empowered to be and do all that God has for you. For additional resources and info, go to lifewest.church. Hey, welcome to Life West. Glad you guys made it. If I haven't had a chance to meet you, my name is Samuel, and Beck and I just have the honor of serving you guys here at Life West. And if I haven't had a chance to meet you yet, stick around afterwards. Say hi. I'd love to get to know you. Um, yeah, so just gonna, just don't, don't disappear. That hallway, you, it, you can stop in it. I don't know if you knew that or not. Some of you, you hit that hallway and just like, like, it's okay. You can stop. You can say hello. We'd love to get to know you. But welcome to Life West. Uh, great to see you guys this morning. We're in a series going through Galatians, really just looking at what God had to say to the Galatian churches. Uh, it's written by Paul, authored by God. I believe that all of Scripture is that way, that God spoke to man, and then when they were inspired, they wrote down the Scriptures, and that includes Galatians. So this letter here is not just for this specific church or this city, this group of people who lived in Galatia, but also for you and I today. So we're kind of just going through here and seeing what it has to say, and it's crazy how some of the things that we can so often think are just for us or unique to our time and where we are, well, they're in here too. And so we're in Galatians chapter 4. encourage you to open up your Bible if it's on your phone or you brought it with you and just follow along, Galatians chapter 4. I'll be reading from the NIV, but whatever version you have would be just fine. But let's just jump in. We're going to go to Galatians chapter 4. This is right where we left off last week, verse 14. Paul says this, he says, even though my illness was a trial to you. You did not treat me with contempt or scorn. Instead, you welcomed me as if I were an angel of God, as if I were even Christ himself. We talked a lot about this last week, about the fact that Paul, this great man of faith, comes and he was sick. And I think some of us we see that, and because of the camps that we grew up in, or this idea, we think, well, if I, if I was really, if I had enough faith, if I was a, a super great Christian faith person, I would never get sick. Paul came, and he had a sickness. And here's the deal. We have battles, and we fight. And I look, and I'm like, if Paul had this, and he had to resist the devil, and he had a sickness, I think I'm going to have it. It's okay for me to have it, too, to be like, okay i got to fight this. I've, I've got to do something about it. And I love that he, how he says this. He says, you didn't treat me with contempt or scorn. Almost like he was preaching to some super faith people who are just like, well, you can never, there's something wrong with you if you ever have anything go wrong in your life or any sickness or any disease or any death or anything ever happens. He's like, you didn't treat me with contempt. You didn't treat me with scorn. Verse 15, he says, what has happened to all of your joy he says, I can testify that if you could have done so, you'd have torn out your very eyes and given them to me. Now, he says this in verse 16. He says, have I now become your enemy by telling you the truth? Now, how many of you love cancel culture? Woo! We're like, no, not, not, not so much. And you look at some of what's going on in our political and world and the world and we're political and just like political correctness is just like everywhere and all things and all of this and you're like, oh my goodness, this is ridiculous and when did this start? Well, let me, let me read this to you again, what he said in verse 16. He says, have I now become your enemy because I taught you the truth? That's cancel culture. That's what it is. 
you're my enemy because of what you said. Forget about the fact that I might be wrong or what you said might be right or wrong, any of that. But he's like, why am I your enemy for preaching and telling you the truth? They want to cancel the man because of the message. They're upset at Paul. You're now my enemy, not because of what you said, but because I disagree with what you say, so now I'm just going to be upset at you. Does this sound like anything you've heard? It's in here. It's not new. It's not new at all. And Paul was dealing with it, and he's like, I'm not your enemy. And let me, let me just say this. Our ideas, we need to be able to let people ask questions. We need to be able to let people ask questions and our ideas and things that we throw out. We have to be open to people like, I don't get that. I think I disagree. I don't understand that. There's a time and place. If you have a question, wait till after service, just so you know. But we still need to be okay with it. We need to be okay with it. And what we have here is we've got a group of people who are holding on to an idea. And because they want to hold on to their idea, they don't, they're not, they're not, it's not up for debate. And now we know what this is because we've been talking about this for weeks and weeks. We've been talking about what this idea and what, what Paul was addressing was the issue that these Gentiles, non-Jews, had given their hearts to Christ had become Christ followers, had become Christians, and then a group of Jews came and said, well, now that you're Christians, great. You're saved by grace and what Jesus did, but you also have to follow all these rules and laws from the Old Testament. And Paul's like, no, don't fall under that. You're saved because, because of what Jesus did, and that's it. That's it. You are saved. He's addressing this with them. And so there's this group that comes, and now he's coming back, and he wants to teach them again, but they're mad at him. He's like, why am I your enemy? I'm just telling you the truth. That's it. I heard a, a, a pastor years ago say this. He said, touchiness is stupidity's armor. When we get all upset because somebody doesn't like our idea or they question what we're bringing or, or what we're saying and we're like, no, just, just, just don't worry yet. Just don't worry about it. Nope, nope, that's, that's, that's just what it is. And we want to pull that like parental because I said so thing with coworkers and with other and with family members and people around us because we just don't, we don't want anybody to question our idea. That's not okay. A good idea can stand up to scrutiny. It, it can. And guess what else can? The truth. It can. And we need to be open to that. We need to be open to that. We need to be open to questions from our kids when it comes to faith in the Bible. And not just be, well, that's just what it says. We need to be okay with saying things like, well, I, that's a good question and I don't know the answer to that one. But let's find it together. We need to be okay with questions. Questions are, questions are okay. It's all right to be like, well, I don't really know about this, and what about this? But we need to seek after truth and be hungry for truth. If we're hungry for truth, then it's okay when somebody comes with another opinion because maybe they know something that we don't know because I don't know it all. And I might make a plan in any area of life and be like, hey, this is what I'm going to do, but then somebody else comes in and is like, well, guess what? Last week, I was, I was getting, getting ready to go out hunting, and so I, I had my spot all picked out. I'm like, okay, this is where I'm going to go, and this is going to be all good. And my brother comes in. He's like, where are you going? I said, well, I'm going to go sit, sit this little stand over here. And he goes, I wouldn't sit there. 
And I'm like, well, that's why you're not going to get the deer. You know, that's what I'm thinking, right? Like, I'm going to get the deer, and you're not, so whatever. And, and he's like, I wouldn't, and I'm like, what's up? And so he's like, well, and he hauls out his phone. He's like, well, look at, my phone says the wind's going to be changing, and it's going to actually be blowing perfectly wrong for that spot. And I look at it, and I'm like, he's right. <laughs> and so then I haul out my phone. I'm like, well, my app says the wind is going to do this. And I go, let me see yours. And so, no lie, my app says the wind's supposed to come straight out of the south. His app says it's going to come straight out of the north. And I'm like, what do you do? And I'm like, how good is your app? How long have you had it? Does it work very good for you? Like, has it been right for you before? Because I've got to change my plan if what he says is right. Or I could sit there and be like, uh-uh, I don't think so. Give me your phone. Mm, I'm like, kick it. That wouldn't do any good. I could hit it out of his hand and be like, you just don't want me to get the deer. Whatever, you're going to sit there. That would be a really good plan if that was like what he was doing. But we've got to be open to somebody coming with new information and be like, well, okay. And not just be closed off and not be people who get mad at a person because of the message. And we get mad at somebody because of what they said and they challenged us in what we believe or what we're doing or our game plan or our portion, whatever it is. That's exactly about what was happening here. And then he goes on in verse 17, and he says this, he goes, those people are zealous to win you over. Paul's talking about these guys that come, and, and they're, trying to, they're teaching these people that they have to obey these laws. He says, they're zealous to win you over, but for no good. What they want is to alienate you from us so that you may be zealous for them. They're not after truth. They're actually trying to divide I love what he says there, and this is, and I, I think it's so much of the an exact picture of what cancel culture is, because he says, their goal was to alienate you from us, not to be like, okay, well, actually, let me sit down with you, and let me show you in the word why what Paul is preaching is wrong. No, no, no. What we want to do is alienate you from the person that's teaching something. We want you to be so upset that you'll just throw out everything that they say, regardless of whether it's right, regardless of whether it's wrong, whatever it is, we just want it gone. Even a broken clock is right twice a day. Like, we can learn something from anyone. Like, something, you can learn from the people that you disagree with. And just because I disagree with you in one area doesn't mean that you're not a lot wiser, you don't have wisdom, you don't have experiences and learned things that I need to get from you in another area. There are books that I read that I think this is so good, but I can't really recommend them because part of it's good, but part of it isn't good, and some of it's junk. And, and, but we need to exercise the muscle of discernment and being like, okay, just, because here's what happens. I recommend the book, and somebody reads the whole thing, and they're like, well, what about this? Like, well, that's the bad part. And what about this? Well, okay, I agree with that, and I don't with this. And they're like, well, I don't know about that. And, and, and we want to throw... The, everything out. And that's what these people were trying to get these new believers to do, to alienate them from Paul, from these other apostles, get them away. To what end? He says this, to alienate you from us so that you may be zealous for them, so that they, you'd be zealous for them, so that you'd follow after them, to get you away from us. I got another hunting story. It's, it's hunting season, so this is, just, this is where they're at. But we, were, we went hunting this weekend. We were up um, Friday night, 
and it was kind of raining, and so I put Hunter in a ground blind. There was, there was a, a tree stand not far off that would have been a better spot, but with the rain, I was like, okay, just, just get in this ground blind. I said, you should be okay, and Hunter's 11, and I love the hunting this year. It's a riot. My kids are hunting with me, so I'm like, okay, you sit in that stand, and I put you in this stand, I put you in this stand, I'm like, see you in four hours. And then I go off, and I get in my stand, and they do their, th- it, it's been awesome. It's been really fun. Well, Friday night, I go back to pick up Hunter, and I get there, and, and, and the ground blind is still set up. I'm like, oh, well, that's a good sign. And I'm like, Hunter. And he's like, yeah. I'm like, okay, well, what happened? What did you see? What went on? Because he's all by himself at 11 years old in this little ground blind in the middle of the woods. And I'm like, maybe he can walk and find his way out. Maybe not. I don't know. I'm pretty sure he could. But either way, he's, he's just there all by himself. And I remember, I remember being a little kid and I wanted to go hunt with my dad and so we'd go out there and he wouldn't even walk me to my stand. I helped him get in their stands and, and, and find it. My dad would be like, the tree stands about 25 yards that way. See you later. And he'd just take off and he'd go and I'd be okay until his flashlight disappeared and then I'm like, oh, I'm by myself. And I'm like, how far is 25 yards? I'm like, I don't even know. And then I start walking towards it, and if I was lucky, I'd find the tree and I'd get in it. I remember sometimes just having to sit down and wait till there was enough light till I could see. And there's all the sounds that are in the woods at night. When you're a little kid and you're just there and you're listening, I remember just being like, what is that noise? And not knowing and drawing my bow back at like, I don't know what it is, but I'm like, I'm going to be ready. Not, nothing ever came. And he was like, oh. But I remember being deathly afraid sometimes. Oh, man, yeah, loving to get in that tree stand because I felt safer however high off the ground I was. Just like, I got to get up there. I left my bow on the ground a couple times because I wanted to get in the tree stand. I remember being afraid. Why? Because I was alone. I put Hunter in that stand, and I come back, and I was like, hey, how was it? What would you see? And he's like, well, um, there was something right up against the back of the tent where there weren't windows and I couldn't see and it was rubbing up against the tent and growling. I'm like, like, what would I have done at 11 years old? Like, do you run out of the tent? Well, that's where the thing is. Like, what is it? Like, I don't know. You're in this tiny little tent that's put down, held down with stakes that are like pencils, like this long in the corners. Like, oh, how safe does he feel? I'm like, I hope he feels really safe. I don't know. And I'm like, well, what was it? And he's like, I don't know. It came by the front, and all I could see was the gray on its back. And, and I'm like, was it a wolf? No, it wasn't a wolf. And I'm like, it was probably a fawn that just got really close, and the grunting was probably the noise. I'm like, could have been a coyote. I don't think so. But it's so easy to be afraid when we're alone. And we can be afraid of all kinds of weird things, things that we shouldn't be when we're alone. When somebody else is with us, it's a whole nother story, isn't it? When somebody else is with us, it's like, let's go see what it is. And then it's like, you go, no, you go, no, you go, no, you go. And if it's Brian, he always gets you to go somehow. I don't know how, but he always got me to go out first. It's totally different when we have somebody else. But this is what we see him doing. We say that this group, they wanted you, Paul says, to alienate you from me to get you by yourself. That's not a good place to be. Anybody ever get in trouble by yourself, like find yourself in a situation that you just thought, if just one other person was here, I could get out of this. 
I could raise everything. <laughs> I get in so many. I have hundreds of stories. Like, well, if I just had one other person to push, I could probably get the car out. If I just had one other person to help me lower this really big thing off the stage that I shouldn't be lowering off and my, my shoulders rotating out of my socket and I can feel it as I'm trying to hold this thing up and this is not good and I have to let it drop and then try not to try to fix it. And, oh, I, I so many stories. I was in Montana hanging off the side of a mountain on a rope and I'm like, it feels like something's coming down up top. If somebody was up there to check, I would feel so much better right now. And you just have these feelings of, oh, one other person makes such a difference. But he talks about what these guys are doing. He says they were trying to alienate. Don't alienate. Be okay with asking questions. Be okay with people asking you questions. With our kids saying, I don't understand this. And if the Bible says this, well, what about this? And, and taking the time. I'm I'm, who, who are my task-oriented people? Anybody task-oriented? Raise your hand right now. See, they just did it because they're like, I can do that. I did it. Task, check. Like, yes, you and me. Like, I love me a task. Like, I just want to get it done. It's like, okay, this is what we do. Like, I, 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 I can do that. I like tasks. They're, they're, they're wonderful. But what we can do, I was going somewhere with that, and it just completely flew away. That was a squirrel. We're just going to go on to the next point because that squirrel is gone. All right, let's keep going. In Acts, Acts 17, Paul talks about a group of people, an absolute amazing group of people, and here's why. Because he's preaching to them and he says this. Acts 17, verse 11, Now the Berean Jews were of more noble character than the Thessalonians, for they received the message with great eagerness and examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. They didn't just get excited because they agreed. Oh, yes, I agree with what you're saying. This is great. Yep. You, oh, yeah, this is awesome. I'm just going to take everything that this person has to say because I agreed with that one. That, that was great. They went to the scriptures and they checked to see if it was true. I remember where I was going with that task thing. Let's go back. I'm that task guy. So in the mornings, we'll be doing devotions. And I can. I'm like, okay, I just want to read through this and then I want to get done. And then the kids will ask a question at like verse 12. And this, one, this, this, this is a bigger chapter. It's got 42 verses. I've got to get going. You can't ask a question at 12. I've got a task I've got to finish and I've got other things I need to go do. But we need to be okay with questions. And be like, okay, let's do this. And I'm not talking about questions for the sake of questions. Just the never-ending questions well, why? Why that? Why? 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 Well, because why? You're like, okay, no, that's, that's not getting anywhere. But, but real questions, when our kids are asking of, of taking the time, when our small group is saying something, don't be afraid to be like, you know, I, I, I don't know that one. That's a great question. Let's find the answer together. We don't isolate. We don't alienate. We learn to have a filter that we can learn from anybody and, and nobody's got everything figured out perfect and right, but we're going to go to God's word and we're going to see what it has to say and we're going to check and we're going to look and we're going to say, okay, this is where we're going. This is what we want to do. We're not going to be zealous to follow people. We're going to follow God's word. He goes on in verse 19, he says, my dear children, for whom I am in the, again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. I'm a guy, I don't understand that whole childbirth thing, and he is, so I don't even know why he's bringing it up, but he did. But what I think he's doing is really just talking about how much he loves them. 
and how they're baby Christians. He's like, you're, you're, you've just started this walk. You're so new to all of this. He says, how I wish I could be with you now and change my tone because I'm perplexed about you. Tell me, you who want to be under the law, are you not aware of what the law says? He's like, you think you want to do that. You don't. You think you know what you want, but you don't want what you think you want. If you have kids, you ever look at me like, you think you want that, but you don't. Like, I know where that road leads, and that's what he's saying to him. He's like, I know where the road you're on leads. You don't, I do, don't go there. Like, you, this is not where you want to go. But he's talking to him, he says, I care about you. How much? As a parent. And he goes on here, and now he's going to give a little bit of a history lesson. And he draws a, a parallelism from Abraham, two children, and the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. So we're going to read a, a, a hunk here together, starting in verse 22. And he says this, For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and the other by the free woman. His son by the slave woman was born in the ordinary way, but his son by the free woman was born as a result of the promise. That was the promise that God said, I will make you the father of many nations through Sarah, his wife. Now these things may be taken figuratively, for the women represent the two covenants. One covenant is from Mount Sinai that bears children who are to be slaves. This is Hagar. Now Hagar stands for Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present city of Jerusalem because she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem that is above is free, and she is our mother. For it is written, Be glad, O barren woman who bears no children. Break forth and cry aloud, you who have no labor pains, because more are the children of the desolate woman than of her who has a husband. Now you brothers, like Isaac, are children of the promise. At that time the son was born in the ordinary way, persecuted the son that was born by the power of the Spirit. It is the same now, but what does the Scripture say? Get rid of the slave woman and her son, for the slave woman's son will never share in the inheritance with the free woman's son. Therefore, brothers, we are not children of the slave woman, but of the free. So he brings up two points from this history lesson that they would have been very familiar with of Abraham and the two children. One of them is he says, yeah, you want to know what happened? You want to know what happened? He said, the slave woman's son started to mock the free woman's son and was like, oh, and made fun of him and it's not okay. He's like, that's exactly what's happening now. He says, and the point of this whole genealogy right at the very end is he says this, he says, get rid of the slave woman and her son. The thing is this, he says, the, the two covenants are in opposition to each other and they don't coincide. The idea of I'm saved by works does not coincide and it cannot coexist with Jesus paid it all. He's like, it doesn't work. He's like, they're in complete opposition to each other. The law and grace, he's like, it's completely in opposition. So you got to get rid of the one in order to have the other. And understand this. Now, there's some, there are some principles from the law that we still honor, that we honor. Absolutely. There's principles, but we're saved by grace, by what Jesus did. And we're not saved by what we do. We're saved for works, not, not, not because of our works. Now, there's principles that we honor, absolutely. Deuteronomy 23 says this. It says, designate a place outside the camp to go relieve yourself. 
Believe it or not, you do this. This is what you do. Verse 13, as part of your equipment, have something to dig. Dig a hole and then cover it up when you're done. God commanded the Israelites before anybody knew anything about diseases and how they were spread and microorganisms and any of that stuff. God's like, look, there's a million of you walking around campsites and running around the wilderness together. He's like, look, this is what you're going to do. You're not just going to go to the bathroom everywhere. No, we laugh and we're like, huh, who would do that? It's not that long ago. <laughs> it is not that long ago. He's like, look, you need to take care of this stuff. And this is how you're to take care of it. You're to go outside the camp and you're to bring something to dig a hole. He's like, and then cover it up when you're done. This is how you're supposed to do this. This is something that we honor today. See people today being like, well, I just don't want to do that, so I'm just going <laughs> to front yard it. <laughs> it's just what I do because I'm not under the law. <laughs> no, we're like, okay, we're going to take care of this. It's going to go in a very nice place, and then it's going to disappear when I push this button. Like, it's out of here. We honor that. We understand it's a principle that is based on what we know now, so much wisdom. Now, nobody knew about microorganisms and all that fun stuff, the diseases. and They didn't know anything about that. But God said, you don't need to know the why, but trust me and, take, and do this and watch what happens. We, we honor that. We absolutely honor that. Another thing that God told these guys to do in Leviticus 25.1, it says, The Lord said to Moses on Mount Sinai, Speak to the Israelites and say to them, When you're the end of the land that I'm going to give you, the land itself must observe a Sabbath to the Lord. For six years sow in your field, for six years, prune your vineyards and gather their crops. But in the seventh year, the land is to have a year of Sabbath and rest. He's like, you've got to let the land rest. You want to know what we do now? Farmers today, they still have to let the land rest. Or they've got to take soil samples and get out there and they rotate their crops so that it's not because corn takes more nitrogen than, than soybeans and we're going to rotate and we're going to switch things around. Why? Because the land can't produce crops year after year after year. It can't do it. God knew it. So he told the Israelites, this is what you're going to do. You're going to plant for six years then watch what happens. The seventh year, you're going to let it rest and then you can plant again. That's a principle that's in the Bible that it, it, it's going today. It doesn't go away. And we're not like, well, I'm just going to plant corn every year, every year, and just keep planting corn because I just don't want to not do I'm just going to do it. I don't live that way. No, you've got farmers that are like, well, if I'm going to do it, I've got to rotate crops, and I've got I to fertilize, and I've got to bring in all these other supplements, and then they take their soil samples, and they're figuring out what they need. Why? Because the land can't handle it. You can't just do it over and over and over. That's why first cuttings of hay and alfalfa and clover are so much better and then, because the land has rested and it's had the winter. and the These are all principles that are in there. And so when we say we're not under the law, it's not like, well, I'm just going to ignore all of this and, and Jesus did it all, so I'm just going to do whatever I want and, and Jesus covers all. No, 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 no. We're, there's so many things that we still honor in this. Tithing is one of them. In Deuteronomy 14, we see this you must set aside a tenth of your crops, one-tenth of all of your crops you harvest each year. This is under the law. Now, let me just say, 
You can go to heaven and not tithe. Just so you know, you'll be there. It's not like this isn't salvation because Jesus did it all. But I think you're going to get there and you're going to see the opportunities missed and you're going to be like, I wish I had. I could have made a difference. I could have sown into the kingdom of God. But this is there. This is tithing. It's a principle that we still honor today for several reasons. One is tithing. Tithing precedes the law. It's from way before it. Genesis, Cain and Abel. What happened with Cain and Abel? Cain and Abel in Genesis 4. Now Abel kept his flocks and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some fruits of the soil and offered it to the Lord. Really key right there. What did he do? In the course of time, he brought some. And Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from the first of his flock. Everybody say first. Yeah, it wasn't second, it wasn't third, it was the fat portions. And when you and I, we hear fat portions, we're like, okay, what, why? That's the best part. They needed the fat, that was the flavoring, would come from the fat of the animal. This was the good parts. This was the best part. So what does it say? The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, who brought the best and brought the first. Abel did. But Cain and his offering, the Lord did not look with favor on his. He brought some over the course of time. Tithing number one, way precedes the law. And yes, it's still there after the law. Matthew 23, 23. Jesus is speaking and he says this. What sorrow awaits you teachers of the religious law and you Pharisees? He, said, he calls them hypocrites. For you're careful to tithe even the tiniest income from your herb gardens. You're counting the number of leaves and being like, okay, eight, nine, ten. Okay, this one's got, okay, I got another one here. You're counting the leaves. You're that careful with this. But he says this, but you ignore the more important aspects of the law, justice, mercy, and faith. You should tithe, yes, but do not neglect the more important things. Let me just say this. Tithing is not Oh, wow, Navy SEALs do that. Navy SEAL Christians are the ones that do that crazy thing. No, he says this, he says, you neglect the more important things of justice and mercy and faith. Yeah, this is something that was established before, but just because Jesus came, we don't, we don't throw out all the good things that were there before. But our relationship with him isn't based on what we do. It's based on what Jesus did. If we accept it, we accept what Jesus did, and now we're free to follow him in love. Anybody, anybody read minds? I didn't think so, unfortunately. I was hoping somebody would. That would have been really fun. But I can't read minds. I'm, I'm not really good at it. I wish I could. I really wish I could read Becca's mind. Although it'd be scary, I know, it'd be a little bit scary, because sometimes she talks and I'm like, it'd be exhausting to be in your head. <laughs> like, I, I don't know how I could handle it. Because she's like, well, I was thinking about this and how it ties into this and then this person and then all this comes together and this thing over here and then this is all part of it and then there's this thing over here. And I'm like, whoa, hold on, hold on. I've never thought about those things together, ever ever, or those people, I don't know how that intermixes. Everything's tangled up in her mind, and I'm like, oh, there's a box for this and a box for this, and that's just what I think. When I think about this, that's what I think about. I don't think about anything else because that's what I'm thinking about. But anyway, <laughs> I, I, I cannot read minds. So I, 
I need her to tell me what she needs. We're married. I love her. But I still need her to communicate and tell me. And we've had this conversation, and she's like, well, you know, especially when we first got married, she's like, but I want you to know what I need. And I'm like, well, I want to know what you need, but if you'll tell me what you need, I know how to give it to you. And I can do that for you. But that, it's a fun dynamic in marriage because I want to meet those needs, but she wants me to know what those needs are, but if she doesn't tell me what those needs are, how am I supposed to know what those needs are so I can meet those needs? <laughs> marriage, woohoo! It's fun. And you just get to have fun figuring it out together. And that's what we get to do. And what we're free to do, and what she's talked about before, she's, and I'm gonna, she doesn't like flowers, which is absolutely hilarious and fun. She doesn't, I've bought her jewelry, she doesn't like it, she throws it away, she gives it to the kids. Unless she's told me what to buy her, and then it works. <laughs> if she tells me the jewelry to buy her, it works, she loves it, she wears it. Here's the thing. Grace, what Jesus did, frees us up to serve him out of love. To not be like, okay, you have to do this. You have to do this. You have to do this. Don't do this. What Jesus did was say, I did it all. Ask for forgiveness, I'll give it to you. And now, Jesus says, I came to give you life and life to the fullest. Jeremiah 29, 11. He says, that's why I'm here, to give you life to the fullest. Now serve me and watch what happens when you do things the way that I created you to do them. Watch what happens when you love. Watch what happens when you forgive, when you serve. You want to be the greatest? Watch what happens when you serve the people around you instead of wanting them to serve you. Watch the joy that it brings because it's better to give than to receive. And watch what happens. He frees us up to do that. To not live under a law, but he frees us up. And then we're given his word. We're given his word. We're examples. We can look. Paul said, follow my examples. I follow Christ. And we can look at the word of God and we can see what it has to say. We can say, all right, that's how I want to live. That's what I want to do. Not following after a person, but seeking after God. Yeah, we can listen and we're going to find people who teach and and. and and, and they do it well, and it's relatable, and we understand it, and, and we can go and we can do something with it. We're going to find those. But at the same time, we need Scripture, and we need to know Scripture so we can be like the Bereans that Paul says, you want to know what they did? They checked to see daily the Scripture to see if what I was preaching was true. They checked daily to see if it was true. That we don't just get excited about an idea and be like, okay, I'm just going to do it. We say, okay, God, what does your word have to say about this principle? What does it have to say? And we're okay with people asking questions. We're okay with questions. Touchiness is stupid's armor. We're not going to be like, oh, no, don't ask me. I don't know. I don't know. I'm, I'm, I got to go. We're not, we're, we're not going to get offensive. We're not going to get mad. We're not going to attack a person because they asked us a question. We're going to be okay with them. Like, Let's find those answers together. That's a really good one. Parents, make time for your kids to be able to ask questions. Ask them on the way home, what did you learn? As you're doing your devotions together, leave, that, leave time for questions. And be like, 
you have any questions about that? Does any of, make, any, any of that make sense? Or maybe before you start, you just simply say, hey, we're going to do devotions this morning. I'm going to start reading. If you have any questions, just, just go right ahead and interrupt. And you just dive right in. But it's okay. We're not going to throw the baby out with the bathwater. There's things we can pick and choose. But we, let's be people who learn from anyone. That we can look. Don't let somebody get you isolated, all alone, alienated. Get in a small group. Get around some people who are seeking after God and are wanting to grow spiritually. Paul talked to him and he said, you're like, you're like newborns because they had, they had so much to learn. And it's not a bad thing. Learning is fun. And some of us, we may be Christians a really long time, but we've never really given God our all. We've given him, we've said, God, I, I need you, and we know we need him, but we haven't given him our all. And he says this, he says, you can't walk the line between, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of do some of this law stuff, and I'm going to just kind of do some of this Jesus paid it all. He says, no, you got to get rid of the one. And let me just say, when it comes to serving God, there's only one place he wants in your life, and that's number one. There's only one place he fits. You can try to put him someplace else, but he doesn't, he, he doesn't go there. It doesn't work. It's number one. Let me just say this. The most miserable people on this planet, I don't know who they are. They're halfway Christians. Because they know better, but they're not really walking it out. They know better, they know there's more, but they're still entangled and trapped in the worries of this world. They know there's better, but they're just kind of walking the line of trying to stay fit in with some people and some ideas and not really standing up for what they believe. And it kind of rips, it hurts them inside because they know better. They know there's better but they don't want to engage. They don't want to get in a group. They don't want any accountability because they're alienated from some people because of hurts, because of fear of what might happen, fear of the unknown, fear of really just giving God everything and really trusting Him with it and watching what's next. Fear of letting go of control. I love me some control. Oh man, I'm, I'm the driver. I love to drive. Am I a passenger? I'm a horrible passenger. Put me in the driver's seat. I love control. It's fear of letting go. And be like, okay, God, I'm going to do what you have for me. But here's what he says. He says, I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. Don't be that miserable Christian that knows better. It's just kind of tiptoeing in, dive in and say, God, I want all you have for me. And watch what he does. What do I mean by dive in? I mean dive in. I mean be one of those people that come to church every week. You're just like, the doors are open, you're in. Small groups, you're like, I'm up, I'm there, I'm signed up. The women's thing Thursday, you're there if you're a woman. And then the guys thing on the next week, you jump in on the next one. You're like, I'm in, I want to be a part of it. You get in a small group, you get in a study group, you begin to open the word of God and you're looking through there. And you're like, okay, I'm in. And you watch what Jesus does. 
you watch what happens in your heart and what happens in your life. You're like, I'm in. Dive in. Don't be that miserable Christian. Or maybe you're here today and you say, you know what? I just need to give my life to him. I don't even know where I stand, but I want to give him my all. I want all that he has for me. But before we leave, I'd love to say a prayer for you. Would you guys bow your heads and close your eyes? If you're in this room or online, wherever you are, if today's the day you want to make Jesus the Lord of your life, today's the day. Don't wait any longer. Make it today. You say, how? How can I know these? The Bible says in Romans, if we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that Jesus died on the cross and rose again, we will be saved. You can know. It's not guessing. It's not wondering. You can know because Jesus did it all. And then you can begin to walk out the relationship that he has for you. If that's you, or maybe you're here and you say, today I just need to come back. I'm that halfway Christian, but today I'm going to declare I'm all in. I don't want to just, I'm going to give him everything. I'm going to go for it. I'm going to give him all that I have. If you're either of those, then I want to say a prayer for you and over you. If that's you, in this room or online, at the count of three, I want you to lift your hand. You're saying, I'm all in. I don't want to walk this fence anymore. I'm going to give God everything I have. Or you're saying, you know what, Today, today's the day I'm just giving him my heart. Either of those, at the count of three, I want you to be super bold and shoot your hand up high. One, two, three. Lift it all the way up and say, today is my day. Awesome. Awesome. Hands down. In this room, online, wherever you are, let's all together, let's pray this out loud with those that lifted their hands. Everybody repeat after me out loud. Say, Jesus, today I give you my all. I give you my heart. I give you my life. I give you everything I am. I believe you died, but you rose again. You shed your blood for me. From now on, I'm yours. With all that I am, I'm yours. Come rule and reign in my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. Our mission here at Life West Church is to see you and your family equipped and empowered to be and do all that God has for you. For additional resources and info, go to lifewest.church.